Amen. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 15, our series, and we're wrapping it up this morning. And they cried to the Lord. We've talked about desert places, dark places, places of disease. Uh, We've talked about uh, all kinds of places we can go through in our life where we go through disaster even to cry out unto the Lord and how He answers us and the prayers that we often pray. And we're going to end this morning talking about dead places, spiritually dead places. And I was thinking this week, can you really be hungry for a meal you've never had? Why don't you think about that just for a second. Can you be hungry for a meal you never had? So if I come up to you this week and I say, oh man, you should have tasted the, you know, this awesome dish when I went on that trip and I went to this place in this restaurant, and man, it was, you know, it was off the chain. It was this wonderful, you know, chicken parmesan, da-da-da-da. And, and maybe you've never had it, you've never been to that restaurant before, and you can probably say, okay, you know, yeah, next time I'm in the area, maybe if I happen to be hungry, I may stop at that restaurant, and I'm going to take your word for it. You know what I'm talking about? You can't, but you really probably aren't in that moment hungry for it because of you know, I went there. You've never seen it. You've never been there. You, maybe you've never had that specific dish before. So you really probably can't develop a hunger for it. But maybe if I showed you a picture, you know, I went and, and I got the, it was breakfast in the morning, and I went and got the Denny's or the Waffle House menu, and I showed you some pictures, you could probably see like, you know, I could, I really could go for some waffles right now. You know, I can see that picture, and you'd be like, that commercial comes on, you're like, oh man, that, that steak looks good from Outback or whatever, right? You can see it, and it might develop sort of a hunger, but probably is not just going to produce this craving in you. Now, if I took you and I told you how awesome this dish was, and I showed you the picture of it, and then I walked you by the kitchen, and you got a whiff of it. How many people know you probably uh, are going to be hungry for it, which is why I really don't like that our church building is located right next to a brisket house, because every day on the way to work, I can smell that brisket cooking, right? Uh, So, but I'm thinking about hunger. You know, and your spiritual life is very much the same way. We're talking about a God-filled life. And so many times I think we can tell people about a God-filled life and they're thinking, you know, maybe the next time I'm in need and I happen to be available on a Sunday, I may come join you, right? Because they can't see it, they can't smell it, and maybe they've never had that dish before. So just telling them doesn't always seem to produce the hunger desired to receive it. But perhaps if we don't just tell them, but we show them, and we get them a little whiff of it, right? And they smell it off of you, because sometimes you can go to that Mexican restaurant, and you come home not just smelling the same way, right? You smell like that food you've eaten, right? And if we could be, uh, in, in a way, in this community, in this day and age, not just those who declare a God-filled life, but demonstrate it to the world that we can see some hunger produced in people who've never experienced it before in their life. How many people know what I'm talking about this morning? Because there are those 
who have never tasted of the God-filled life before, and they need someone to declare it and to demonstrate it in their life. And there are those that maybe had experienced it years ago. It was like a dish they had one time on vacation. Do you remember when we went on vacation and we went to Lambert's Cafe? You know, and if you've ever been to Lambert's, you'll probably crave it for the rest of your life, just me personally. But, but you can kind of like, yeah, I remember, you know, the taste of that, you know, black-eyed peas and that okra and those throat rolls. I can, I'm getting you all hungry for later, right? Uh, You know, I can remember the taste of it, but you know, that was so long ago. I'm probably not just craving it, but if I can have someone show me, if I can have the smell of that God-filled life again, I might be hungry for it again. And there's lastly this. There are those in our community who are so devoid, they are so empty, they are so hungry for something that they will receive anything from anyone. The first relationship to come along, the first pill to come along, the first drug to come along, the first entertainment to come along, they are so hungry, they're willing to eat garbage. How many people know that is the state of the world that we live in today? It's not that we just have those who have never tasted it before. And it's not that we have those that uh, maybe tasted it a long time ago. We, there are so many people in the world that are so hungry for something, they'll receive anything. And that's our responsibility, church, to be a people who are demonstrating and declaring a God-filled life. We need to demonstrate and declare the god filled life. But here's the problem today. I think just like some people who have never tasted it before, we do not know right now in America the move of God that we are missing. We, we don't know the move of God we are missing. We are uh, totally satisfied with the way things are. So many in the world, in the church today, that we don't know how much we need Him. I was thinking about uh, this and asking the Lord this week, you know, have God, have I grown numb to the effect of sin on society that, that we can turn on the TV and it's normal, it's almost normal now that we're talking uh, not just about abortion, but about being killing kids outside of the womb. It's become like it's not even a big deal to have a conversation about it. And, and we're so numb to the effect of drugs and things like fentanyl on the street that are killing more people than we've ever seen killed by drugs before. That, that we're so numb to rape and violence. It's, oh, it's just another police shooting. It's just another cop who died. It's just another violent out pro, uh, protest. It's just another move against... And we, it's so normal to see hate speech uh, in the newscasting between this party and that party. It's, we've grown so numb that this day and age has become normal, uh, that we're so uh, inundated, we're so uh, used to hatred among men and sex trafficking and suicide and murder and violence. Uh, it's so normal today for those who are growing up in society to, to watch television that's filled with uh, nudity and perverse language and violence. And it's so normal that the best-selling TV show in the world is full of full-on nudity. And it's, it's, it's permeating the world and it's so normalized today. And I think we don't even know the move of God we're missing. We're not hungry for something. We've, we're, we're not hungry for something that we've never tasted before. And I'm asking God today for, for our church and for these people in this day, God, help us to be a people 
who will demonstrate and declare the God-filled life for those out there who've never tasted before, that they would get a whiff of it. And God, for those that are so hungry for anything at all, Lord, that they'll find out that what they've been eating is rubbish, Lord, compared to what you're willing to give them. And God, help us as a church to realize how much we are missing in a move of God. What would your life be like with more God in it? What would your life be like with more God? And you say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm saved. I'm doing pretty good. But, but seriously, what would your life be like with more of God? And I think about Acts chapter 2 when, when the Holy Spirit came down and it had never been done that way before. And, and man, when they experienced the presence of God, the Bible says there was a sense of mutual love and togetherness and there was gladness and sincerity of heart and there was a a, a joyful reason to sacrifice and those who had much shared with those who had little and there was uh, it actually says that that the, they affected the culture around them with a sense of awe and they were even having favor with the the community at large and i think about paul when he says in galatians chapter 5 that Man, when the Holy Spirit comes over you, it doesn't produce all these fleshly fruits and selfishness and all kinds of vile stuff. But when it comes over you, man, he, he produces a life full of love and joy and peace and, and humility and kindness and, and gentleness and self-control. He even long-suffering, faithfulness, temperance. He, he produces these things in you. And so what would your life be like right now? with more God in it? Would you be a better husband, a better uh, wife? Would you be a better coworker? Would you just be happier, more joyful? And you say, well, I'm, I'm okay, but yeah, but with more God in it, wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better with more God in your life? How many people believe my life with more God would be better, right? Okay, and that's, that's the idea. Lord, help me to see and pursue. God, that it's not enough where I'm at right now. I know yeah, okay, maybe I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, but, but man, what would my life be like with more of God? A God-filled life. Do I hunger for something maybe I've never tasted of before? When God takes over, the Scriptures say His people live in delight, they rejoice, they sing with joy, their prosperity increases, their children are blessed, they have peace and enjoy life and communion with God, they have victory even over suffering and death. How many people are hungry for something like that? And so the solution then is a word we call revival. And you don't see it a whole lot in the Scripture, but revival means to take what was dead and bring it back to life. And in a sense, what we get the, the idea of a born-again life. Jesus says, hey, we are all dead in our sins and transgressions. Paul says that we are, had been separated from God. And while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ would die for us. And what he would do is he would bring a new life, something that was dead. He would make live again. He would renew you in the spirit of your mind. He would make you alive in Christ, even though you were dead in your transgressions and your rebellion against God. Something new and alive would come inside of you. And I'm asking God, Lord, let me be truly living this God-filled life. 
Let me be truly living, not a religious life, not a good moral life, not a traditional conservative Republican life or a Democratic life or a a good citizen kind of life. Let me not just be a good father or a good husband uh, or even in this room a good mother or a good wife. Let me be living the God-filled life. Let me demonstrate and declare to the world what it means to be alive or quickened or restored with God. And so the problem is we don't know the move of God we are missing. And the question is, what would our life be like with more of God in it? And the good news is that James says that even if one person, one man or one woman, who becomes in right standing with God, who becomes righteous in Christ, even just if one man or woman would pray in faith, believing Jesus Christ is enough, that they can do marvelous things. They can accomplish much. And Chronicles tells us the Lord speaks to a a nation. He says, but if you would humble yourself and pray and turn from your way of doing life and way of thinking and feeling, and you would humble yourself and pray and turn from those things, I would hear, I would respond, I would come down, and I would heal your land. I would bring that, that glory, my glory back again. And so look in Isaiah 63, verse 5. I want to talk to you this morning about missing God. Are we hungry for something we've never maybe had before? Are we demonstrating and declaring the glory of God? And what would my life be like with more of God in it? Let me give you the background of Isaiah 63. Isaiah is a prophet in the last days of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And he lives in a day of a divided kingdom when there are ten tribes in the north called Israel and two tribes in the south called Judah. And the country is divided, mostly evil in the north, sometimes good kings in the south. But all in all, overall, there is a day of apathy. It is a day of deadness. It is a day of apostasy where people are falling away from God. What once was a vibrant community when Moses had led it and David had led it into prosperity and following God and seeing signs and wonders. Now it's only uh, prophetic uh, woes. It's only a calling back and we are seeing defeat. There's an economic crisis. There's crime is on the rise. There's just a day of apathy uh, for the house of God and where God's places once stood and monuments, now there are monuments to other things, worldly things, pagan things, immoral things are happening in the country. And Isaiah is one of these few watchmen on the walls. He's one of these few people who are seeking and hungry for a move of God again. He knows what had happened back when with Moses and in the wilderness and what had happened in great times of, of victory under David and and the great kings of old. But he looks in his day and he says, man, I don't see that happening. And God moves on him in many prophetic ways. And he looks ahead in his, these prophetic visions and he sees Israel falling away to a, a big empire called Assyria. And he sees the temple being destroyed later on by the Babylonians in Judah. And he sees God removing his hand from this country. And he sees a rise of a Gentile church and a coming of a Messiah. And he sees a tribulation coming in the last days. And, but yet at the same time, he sees God's Spirit being poured out. And he sees the coming judgment of God. He sees a God who's going to tread upon men, men like, like grapes in a wine press. He sees the blood of people everywhere. He sees a burning, unquenchable fire of hell. And he sees all of this is coming because we've turned our backs on God. 
And so he cries out for God. Lord, save us again. And look in here, and this is his cry. We're talking about, and they cried to the Lord out of dead places. God, won't you move again? Isaiah 63, verse 15. I'm reading in the New Living this morning. He says this, Lord, look down from heaven. Look from your holy, glorious home and see us. Where's the passion and the might you used to show on our behalf? And God, where are your mercy and compassions now? Surely you're still our father. Even if Abraham and Jacob would disown us, Lord, you would still be our father. You're our redeemer from ages past. Lord, why have you allowed us to turn from your path? Why have you given us stubborn hearts that we no longer fear you? Return and help us, for we are your servants, the tribes that are your special possession. How briefly your holy people possessed that holy place, and now our enemies have destroyed it. Now he's seeing ahead in time, and because he's seen ahead in time what's going to happen, he's speaking as if it's already come to pass, and he's speaking from that place of desperation. And he says, sometimes it seems as though we never even belong to you, as though we've never even been known as your people. You know, sometimes in America as the church, we can say the same thing. God, it seems like we've never been a Christian country. Lord, it seems like we've never been in revival. Lord, the way we are today, it seems like this is, it's never even was a revival. It never even was a Christian place to begin with. And that's his cry. And look in Isaiah 64, verse 1. He says, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens or rend the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence as fire causes wood to burn and water to boil. Your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason of your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quake. For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. He sees the world and the country that he lives in in ruins. And you could say the same thing about where we live in America today. It's like as if we were in a great place at one time at the founding of our country in the first and second great awakenings and the rise of the Methodist movement and the rise of the Baptist movement and the rise of the Pentecostal movement. And we saw great mass conversions through great men of God like Billy Graham where millions came to the Lord. But it seems like today that we live in, it is all ruined. It is all ruined that the churches are emptying out and the drugs are winning and the hatred is winning and the violence is winning. And God, it's as if every place there used to be, there's just ruin. And Isaiah feels the same way. And he says, Lord, I see now, I see the state we are in. I see that we're in a dead state. And this dead state is going to lead our country into captivity. And he sees, God, the cities of God are now a wilderness. The temple, I see it prophetically, is destroyed. And he says, I recognize in verse 6, he says that our righteousness as is filthy rags. And literally, that means menstrual cloths. He says, My, our righteousness are worthless. They are they're immoral. They are unclean. They are ungood. There's nothing we can do apart from you, God. And he says, nobody is calling on your name. In 64, verse 6, everyone is under the power of sin. And it's like nobody's even hungry for you anymore. No one's even desiring the God-filled life anymore. And so, Lord, would you just come again? Lord, Lord, save us again. Lord, rend the heavens. Just shake this nation again. God, pour out your spirit in abundance again. God, I know that for those who wait for you, Lord, you will do that. And then God responds. Look in Isaiah 65. I'm just going to paraphrase it. 
Isaiah is to say, Lord, they're trusting in dead things, but let them see what the living God can do. And Isaiah 65, God basically says this. He says, I was ready to respond, Isaiah, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but nobody was looking for me. In, in fact, he says, people were rebellious and they were doing their life their own way. They were worshiping worldly things. And in, in places when they should have been in the church house and they should have been worshiping me, they left me to worship other things. And in a sense, they were going for their entertainment. They were going for their hobbies. And they were making immoral images in their homes. And they were, they were praying to other things. They were trusting in other things for the benefit. They were trusting in their own plans and their own jobs their own careers and they were letting their kids go crazy and and they weren't teaching the the ways of God anymore and so yet at the same time they were looking to one another and saying well I'm holier than you don't touch me don't make me unclean and God said I could see through that hypocrisy I could I could tell you what they were watching on TV at home I could tell you the way they were treating about their wife I could tell you the things they were doing secretly and and the addictions they secretly had and I knew that but at the same time they could put on that religious Facebook posting and they could put on that religious churchianity and they could come and and play the church and he says that disgusted me and so I left them I forsook them and I gave them over to their own trouble they turned from me and so I I turned from them and so God says to Isaiah in 66 chapter 66 he says you know so that for that reason destruction is coming for your people for this people they forsook me, so now I've forsaken them. And so there's going to be this great destruction. He begins to paint the picture of what hell will begin to look like, a place of fire that does not quench and worms that do not die. And he begins to tell Isaiah, and Isaiah is just burdened down. Lord, Lord, oh my gosh, God, how can that be? Lord, there's, oh Lord, what can we do? But then God gives a reprieve. And look in Isaiah 65, verse 9. He says, there are people, many people will be destroyed when I come to judge the world, but yet I will preserve a remnant of the people of Israel and of Judah, the people of God, to possess my land. Then I choose, those I choose will inherit it, and my servants will, servants will live there. In the plain of Sharon will it again be filled with flocks for my people who have searched for me. Everybody say searched. For those who seek after, for those who search for God, And in the valley of acre or trouble, in the valley of trouble will now be a place to pasture herds. And since that word acre, that's where Achan uh, sinned against the Lord. He brought sin into the camp of God. He says the places where sin had been in the camp and it caused judgment and trouble now will be a place of pasture for those who seek after me with all of their heart and turn to me. In these last days, there will be a remnant of truly faithful people. In the last days, Isaiah, when so many are going to be headed towards a devil's hell and they're not even aware, they're not even hungry for a move of God anymore, I'm going to raise up a righteous remnant. It'll be those who seek after me. And I'm going to begin to give them the Holy Spirit. They're going to see things that no one's ever saw before. They're going to do things that no one's ever done before. And they're going to inherit this wonderful place, the place of Sharon, a peaceful pasture. There'll be the flock of God. I will do these things in these last days. The question for you and for me today is, will you be dead or will you be resurrected? 
Will you be this falling away that we see in the last days where we are dead to a move of God? We're not even hungry to a move of God anymore. We're not praying for a move of God. We're not seeking God. We're turning to entertainment and hobbies and addictions and the pleasures of this world. Or will we get on our faces and say, Lord, I'm tired of the rubbish and the garbage this world has to offer. I'm tired of the status of sin in this country. Lord, won't you rend the heavens and come down and shake this place again? Show people your glory, O God. And many will turn to you. Let them see that they are serving dead things, but they could serve the living God. And Lord, let me be a man or a woman who has the God-filled life. It is not an easy thing to shake yourself out of slumber. You know that moment when you're asleep in your bed and you're awake, but you're kind of still asleep again, and you're thinking, I really should get up. And then 15 minutes goes by, and 20 minutes goes by, and you know, the, the, the lights in the room, people are getting up, and you're thinking, I thought it was just five minutes ago. I really wanted to get up, but somehow or another, I'm still here. How many people know what I'm talking about? Right? It happens all the time. That is the church today. We want to wake up, but we're not sure how to stir ourselves up again. And we, we're in this in-between of awake and asleep. And Lord, only if we could just stir ourselves up again and wake up. And sometimes in those moments, you just have to say, one, two, three, go, and jump out of the bed, right? You just have to say, okay, finally, this is it. I'm going to get up. And you just throw the covers off you and just throw your feet on the floor. And then your, your back's probably laying on the bed like, okay, okay, I'm halfway there. Lord, help me. One, two, three. Okay, I'm up again. Like, it's, it's as if, Lord, if you would just move again. God, I can't do this. And I'm going to tell you something. It is a surmountable odds that we are against. There are mountainous problems that we face in our country. But Jesus says if we would just have faith, even as a mustard seed, we could move mountains. If there would just be a group of people who would humble themselves and seek his face and turn from their ways of living and thinking and doing and turn back to God and just get hungry for a move of God again in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana in 2019, God might just show up. He might just do something we've never seen him do before, but we have to understand we are missing something. How much we need him. But God will save those who call to him. We live in a day when the Holy Spirit is being grieved. God sees the hypocrisy in the church. Many are not responding to him. But Jesus says to even to that woman at the well, he said this, the, the time is coming and now is where God is searching for those who will not just worship him in religious ways in this mountain or that mountain or this church house or this church house, but they're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. They're going to get truly hungry for a move of God. And it's not going to happen just on a Sunday night or Sunday morning altar call. It's going to happen in their cars. It's going to happen in their bedrooms. It's going to happen on the street corners. It's going to be people who are going to cry out to Jesus because Jesus is the truth. And they're going to ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit. And God is longing. He's seeking. He's searching for someone who'll seek for Him. Are we missing God? Are we missing God? One author says this. He says, The main method that Christ uses to build His church is godly men and women who will devote themselves to prayer 
in the ministry of the Word. God is looking for someone who will wake themselves up out of dead places. I believe God's saving the best for last. You know, for those who would wake themselves up, the only thing we have to look forward to, here's what we have to look forward to. We have to look forward to revival. We have to look forward to rapture. And we have to look forward to a greater revelation of reigning with Him. Revival, rapture, and reigning with Jesus. That's what the remnant has to look forward to. And look in Isaiah 66, verse 19. Because we need to be a holy remnant who are praying these revival prayers. Because I can't do it. It's not going to be our programs. It's not going to be our creative ideas. It's not going to be this, the quality of our worship team or the, the awesomeness of our media It's not going to be a three-point sermon that is catchy. It's going to be people who hunger for a move of God. And I cannot hunger for you. I cannot get hungry for that meal for you. You have to hear about it and see it and smell it and say, God, that's what I want. Isaiah 66, verse 19, here's what he says. I'm going to perform a sign. This is in these last days. He says, and I will send those who survive to be messengers to the nations. And he goes on, "...and to all the lands beyond the sea that have not heard of my fame nor seen my glory." Remember, Isaiah has asked for his glory to come down again. And God says, "...I'm going to save and restore and fill those who are seeking after me in the last days." And he says, "...and then I'm going to raise them up. I'm going to do some kind of a great sign through them, this great awakening in these last days. And they're going to go to the lands beyond the sea, to people who have never seen my glory before, and they will declare my glory to the nations." and they'll bring the remnant, more people, back from every nation. They'll bring them to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. He's saying there is going to be a holy people, a true church in the last days who will be filled with the Holy Spirit, who will desire people to see the glory of God again, that they will disperse across the world demonstrating and declaring the glory of God. And because of this last day's revival, many people will come into the kingdom of heaven. Many people will see the glory of God. Let me tell you, around the world today, it is happening. China is in revival. Many places in Latin America, South America are in revival. Places in the underground church in the 1040 window in the Middle East, people are coming in masses to, to Jesus Christ. In Russia, behind hidden doors, people are coming to Christ. There is a massive move of God around the world today where people are seeing the glory of God. We just so happen to live in a place that is now dead. But it was once alive, and I believe it can live again. And it may not be everywhere. It may not be like we want to see it. But I believe if pocket here and a pocket there and this place here and this church there and this little prayer meeting here, God can do so much. Like James said, with just, if just a righteous man or woman will pray like Elijah who prayed and it did not rain for many years, one prayer of a right man or woman of God who is seeking after God, who is faithful to God, can accomplish much in the day they live. And I've got to believe by faith and be hungry for it and say, God, shut up the heavens. Rend this place. Come down to our community again because I want people to see your glory. 
I don't want them to come to a great VBS. I don't want them to come to a great sermon series. I don't want them to come to hear some great worship and some great speakers. I want them to come to see the glory of a God who comes and changes lives, who can still restore marriages, who can deliver the addict, who can give peace and love and joy and mutual, uh, mutual love and kindness, and who can change a community and a culture. He's such an awesome God that He deserves the glory. God is looking for a faithful remnant who will declare and demonstrate His glory to the world. Oswald Chambers said this, he said, One life yielded to God at all cost is worth thousands who have only been touched by God. One life who is completely yielded to God at all costs is worth a thousand who've just been touched by Him. Just those who've just gotten a little inkling. But those who would go all in, they can do so much for God. I'm going to give you three prayers I, I want us to be praying this week and this month, even this year. Three prayers like Isaiah. Really, it's one big prayer, but it's three modes of this prayer. And the first is Isaiah prayed with repentance. He prayed that, God, my, my righteousness is as filthy rags. He knows in Romans that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way we can be justified is by faith in Jesus Christ. The only way we can be declared legally innocent in the face of heaven is by trusting in the work of Jesus Christ alone. I can never do enough good works to be good enough. I can never live right enough on my own. I can never think right enough on my own. I can never develop a, enough habits or, or, or please God with all my churchianity and my church attendance and my giving. It is only by trusting that Jesus Christ is enough. That's where it starts. It says, God, in daily repentance, Lord, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespassed against me. It's a daily repentance. Paul said, I die daily. It's a surrendering of self, and it's a giving of self over to God, that it's not I who live, but now Christ who has to live in me. And it's a daily repentance. And let me tell you, repentance always precedes revival. Repentance always comes before awakening or new life. And one, one author says this, one mark of revival is that God's people stop blaming God or other people for their own sin. They own up to it for what it is, and they turn from selfishness, and they turn, like Isaiah will say in Isaiah 55, that God says, the true fasting that I desire is not stop eating food. The true fasting I desire is not giving more money or doing more religious things. The true fasting that I desire is a God-filled life that satisfies the needs of the broken in your community. That Because you realize you are not all that and you don't have it all together. And you start getting empathetic for those who are broken, those who are hungry, those who are destitute, those whose lives are completely out of whack, and you get compassionate for other people. True repentance is not just saying a prayer and coming to have your sin uh, washed away so you can get out of hell. True repentance is a person who is truly broken for God and the things of God and says, God, you're what I need. And because I know I'm broken, and Isaiah would say at the very beginning, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. He's the only one seeking God in the whole entire nation. And he's saying, I am a man who is undone and broken. And what I need and what this country needs is a move of God's sovereignty. 
And it brings empathy for sin. It brings compassion for those who don't understand any better. And we need to be the most empathetic, compassionate, loving people on the face of the earth. Because we're repentant. We're not better than thou or more holier than thou. We're broken. We're destitute. We're humble. And Peter would say to that group in Acts, he says, guys, it's when you repent that seasons of refreshing or seasons of revival would come from the presence of the Lord. When you empty yourself out, then that's when the Holy Spirit can fill you in. And the second prayer he would pray is that prayer to daily be filled. Isaiah would tell them, he said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Remember, he's saying, God's so far away. Where where are you? But if you would just seek the Lord... This is the time, church. This is the last days of human history in this world. Do you understand that? There is, we are living in a time of grace. Isaiah saw a time where the Jews would fall away and God would send His Son and He would open the door for a temporary period for all people to come in. But he still saw a day of judgment still coming. And it is coming. There is only this temporary window of grace where anyone whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are in that temporary bubble. But judgment is coming. And and he says, while you can, seek the Lord and you'll find Him. Ask Him to fill you. And it's those who would... uh, He says it's like those that would be uh, the clay and God would be the potter. He says, God, You're the potter. We're the clay. Mold us and shape us. Lord, uh, make me the way You want. And we have this phrase that we use in, in charismatic Pentecostal circles. And it's from the book of Acts. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even Paul says in Ephesians, he says, don't be drunk with wine. That leads to bad things. But be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was convicted this week about that phrase because I pray that prayer almost every day. God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Every day, multiple times a day even, I ask, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. But I, I sometimes neglect what that really means. If you equate it to drunkenness, someone who is drunk is under the influence of alcohol or they are under the control of alcohol. And for a church, under uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, it means a people or a person who is under the influence of God. A person who is allowing God to control their thoughts. A person who is allowing God to control their feelings, their emotions, or their behaviors. And, and it's so easy to pray, God, give me more of your Holy Spirit, but are we really asking God, control me more today? God, influence me more today. God, I know there is a broken world that, that has never hung, they don't hunger, they've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but I have to be the person, this holy remnant in the last days, who's going out to the nations. I'm so jealous for your glory, O God. Help me to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit so they will get a whiff. They will see an example of those Waffle House pancakes. You know, they're going to smell it. They're going to taste it off of me. You know, sometimes you can smell stuff and you can almost taste it. What if we were so full of God as we went into our communities and as we went to our homes, as we went to our families and we went to our workplaces, people would just, you would just walk by and they could be like, oh, they smell good, right? Oh, I can almost taste God, 
coming off. I can, I can, there's something, they've been somewhere, they've tasted of something that I want. And it only comes from people saying, God, I, I need to daily be filled. And the Bible says that God loves to give good gifts to those who ask, how much more will He give the Holy Spirit if we would ask Him? Are we asking? Truly. Not, God, give me, give me more Holy Spirit so I'll be better this week. Because I've prayed those selfish prayers. Anybody else? I've prayed those selfish prayers. God, help me get out of my funk. Help me get out of my mess. Help me be better. But a true revival person is not just praying for me. I'm praying, God, you're so awesome. Everybody deserves to see your glory. You see, understand what I'm saying? I'm not even just praying, God, I don't want people to go to hell. I'm saying, Lord, you deserve the praise of their lips. I'm jealous for the glory of God to rend the heavens and come down. I'm, I'm not just praying for our church to grow, because that's selfish. I'm not just praying for me to live a better life. That's selfish. I'm jealous that not many people know how awesome my God is. I'm, I'm jealous for God. I'm jealous, Lord, that so many people are turning to drugs and sex and self and society. So many people are turning from you, God, and they don't know how good you are. They don't know how good you are. And Lord, I'm jealous. I want them to praise you because you deserve their praise. And Isaiah was jealous for the glory of God. He said, Lord, help me. He became an ambassador in those last days. Help me to be filled. And lastly is this. Pray daily until God responds. Prayer is the most we can do, one author says. Revival prayers are motivated by God's glory. And we pray because sin has destroyed places. Sin has enslaved people. And we're not going to stop. Like what Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, He says there was this wicked judge, an unrighteous judge, but there was this faithful widow. And she nagged this man for her case and her trial. And, and he didn't want to pay her any attention or even set her court date. But she kept on him and she wrote letters and she knocked on his door and she wouldn't stop and she wouldn't stop. And finally, he just got so annoyed by her that he gave in and settled her case. And Jesus says, this is why you should pray and not faint. You should keep on praying and give up. Because if an unrighteous judge was willing to answer the cry of a righteous woman, how much more will your heavenly Father answer the cause of a righteous people who are crying out to a righteous judge? And will He not turn from heaven and rend the heavens and come down in these last days? Will He not pour out His Spirit if a church in Gina, Louisiana would say, Lord, for our community, we stand in the gap. And even if no other church and no other Christians are praying, God, we're jealous for Your glory and we will not stop knocking on heaven's door until You're in the heavens. Are we hungry for something we've never tasted? Will we declare and demonstrate the glory of God? Psalms 85, verse 6, and close with this, says, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Father God, today, Lord Jesus, help us, O God. We are desperate for your glory. God, we're desperate for your glory. God, help us, Lord to be hungry for something maybe we've never tasted.